I came here to Roanoke, I don't know how many years ago, to date my wife and to marry her. I guess it's like 13 years now. Um, we were members at Westminster, and then we came and were members of Christ the King, and you guys prayed for us, and you've supported us, and you've sent us out to work and to live um, and to play in Nagoya, Japan, and we're so, so thankful for your partnership. Um, every time we come back here, we feel so loved and so cared for by you guys. So thank you so much for being a part of what God is doing in our lives, in our hearts, um, but also in the city of Nagoya and among the Japanese people. Um, there are friends here who have come from a long way away as well, so thank you for coming all the way from Blacksburg to be here with us. Um, I'm a little bit of a mess. I, I sat over here and I thought my family was going to follow me, and they ended up sitting over here, so we were just kind of waving at each other uh, during the worship. Uh, in our church in Nagoya, we don't have that problem. We have about 40 people who attend our church, so we always know exactly where to sit. Um, but it also feels a little bit awkward because in Nagoya, I go to a bilingual international church. So we have a Japanese pastor with my best friend, Yusan, and he's usually standing here preaching in Japanese. And I'm usually listening to what he says and interpreting into English. And so it feels a little bit strange to stand up here by myself. Um, but I will do my best with you guys this morning. And we're trusting that the Holy Spirit's going to show up and he's going to be at work in all of our hearts. Because uh, that's our hope, right? Um, so with that, if you would, please turn to John chapter 21. We're going to start in verse 15. Um, at our church in Nagoya, we've been going through the book of John. We just finished it, actually. It took us about a year, uh, and it was really fun for me. I really enjoyed reading through it and getting to um, preach through it and pray through it, um, but it was interesting when I came to this last chapter in John because at the end of John chapter 20, it looks like John's done with his book. He gives us this line, he closes off his book, it says, Jesus performed many signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book, verse 31, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That seems like a great place to stop, right? But then all of a sudden, John decides, okay, I'm going to write another chapter, I'm going to add something on to the end, and I was scratching my head trying to figure out why. Does John need to add something on here? I mean, think about all of the Fast and Furious movies that we've seen, right? It's like you could have stopped at one and it would have been okay, but now we are at like Fast and Furious 600, right? And nobody's, well, maybe there are some fans here. Anybody still like Fast and Furious? Okay, there's a few. I'm sorry. Nothing personal, man. Um, but there are some times when you just keep going and it's like, oh, that's way too much. Why are we doing this? But then there's other times like Frozen. I don't know if you guys are Frozen fans. I have two daughters. Um, six-year-old and a four-year-old, and we went and saw Frozen 2 with six of their friends, and it was awesome. Everybody dressed up in Elsa dresses going on the subway, and all the people were taking pictures of them. thought it was hilarious. But that was a great sequel because it actually mattered. It, was, it had story, and it had um, adventure, and it was exciting. So I got this chapter in John. I was like, man, John, why didn't you just stop where you were? And I, and I think it's because John has something more that he wants to tell us. It's not like Fast and Furious, where he's just using more words or trying to make more money. John has something important that he wants to tell us in this last chapter. And I think he wants to tell us something about the mission of God in particular and our place in it. Um, so if you would, let's read together in John chapter 21, starting at verse 15. And we'll go down to verse 23. 
When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him, the one who had been reclining at the table close to him. And he said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not going to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not going to die, but if it is my will that he should remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the word of the Lord. So glad I remembered to say that. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we need you to come. We need you to be in our midst. Uh, we're distracted people. We're all really full from Christmas holidays, um, so it's easy for us to fall asleep. Uh, our hearts are anxious and worried about many things. But uh, when you come, Holy Spirit, and when you come and you work, uh, you can help us to listen, and you can help us to believe, you can help us to love you, and you can help us to go out of here serving you with our whole lives. And so we pray that you would come, that you'd work in my heart, help me to believe this stuff, that you would use my tongue to speak what's true and what's good, and that you would open these people's hearts to hear what you have to say to them. We praise things in the name of Jesus. Amen. I don't see a clock. Is there a clock around here somewhere? Oh, yeah, it's up there on the screen. All right, 1119. What time do I need to be done? That's not a joke. I really don't know. What time do I need to be done? <laughs> All right, 11.45 it is. Here we go. Hang on, guys. Um, as we look at this last chapter of John, I told you he wants to highlight, um, I think, in this chapter, the mission of God. He wants to throw, show us three things in particular in relation to the mission of God. Number one, he wants to remind us that anyone is qualified, that everyone is called, and that Jesus is leading us. Anyone is qualified, everyone is called, and Jesus is leading us. Let's look together at this passage. Uh, as we look at verse 15, we see a really famous passage in the scripture. It's the restoration of Peter. You guys remember what had happened with Peter? Peter was the disciple who was the most gregarious, the most uh, committed to Jesus, the one who would always answer the question first, right? The one who always raised his hand in Sunday school. You call on him and he's like, uh... And he thinks about it, and then he finally comes up with a question later, right? Raise a hand first, answer later. Um, Peter was that guy. 
And he had told Jesus, no matter what you do, I would never deny you. I know you said somebody in this group here with us and this, that's going to eat at this meal is going to deny you, but it'd never be me, right? Peter was the same one who, when Jesus said, I've got to go and I've got to die, he said, no, you can't die. He wanted to protect him, right? He jumped up in front. He was the one, his identity was so based in being the committed, faithful, I love Jesus the most kind of disciple. And then do you guys remember what happened after that when Jesus was arrested? Peter chopped off the soldier's ear, right? Don't take Jesus. I'm committed to him. I love him. And all the disciples scattered except for two. They followed Jesus down to the courtyard where he was going to be tried. John was apparently there, it sounds like, from the, from the Gospels. And Peter was kind of lurking by the gate because he was nervous. He'd been so bold in the garden, and now he was watching this trial from behind the gate. So a young servant girl comes to him, and she invites him in and says, Hey, come warm yourself by the fire. Oh, by the way, weren't you the guy who was just with Jesus? Weren't you one of them? And what did Peter say? The one who would die for Jesus. I don't know who that is. What do you mean? Right? And he sits down by the fire and he warms himself. And another guy who was also in the garden because he was the cousin or relative of one of the people who was arresting Jesus, he says, hey, you were there with us, just in the garden over there when the guy got arrested. What would you think about that? Not me. That was, that was somebody else. And the third time, aren't, aren't you the one who loves Jesus, who follows him around? Not me, I'm sorry. The third, the third time when Jesus, when Peter denies Jesus, a rooster crows, and he remembers, Jesus told me this was going to happen. In one of the Gospels, I think it's Luke, it says that Jesus looked at him. Can you imagine what that glance would be like? Have you ever, I, I was in elementary school, and I, uh, I used to tell a lot of lies because I thought that was cool. Um, I thought if I could come up with a fun story or something interesting that nobody else knew about, then that would make me popular, and I'd kind of pass it around. So I used to tell spread a lot of rumors. Uh, one time I spread a rumor and it went around the school and then it went to the principal. And they were searching for who this person was that had spread the rumor because it was bad. And uh, eventually they found out it was me. So I had to go to the principal's office and I came out of the principal's office and I looked up and there was the person that I had spread the rumor about. And it wasn't some weird person that I didn't know on the other side of the class, it was actually my best friend. It was just a moment of weakness. I just, I wasn't really thinking. I just said something stupid. But I was demolished inside because I love this person. I love this guy. And yet, I wasn't able to love him well. I wasn't able to love him fully. So Peter, when he sees the glance of Jesus, wow, I love this guy. But I wasn't able to stand up for him. Time has passed, and Jesus has appeared to the disciples twice now. He came into the upper room, right, and showed himself, but Thomas wasn't there. So Jesus came back and showed himself to the disciples again. Then he told them, if you'll go out by the lake, I'm going to meet you there. And so they go out to fish, and they're out by the lake, and Jesus appears to them. And he does a miracle like he's prone to do. And he prepares breakfast for them, and they sit down together. And Peter and Jesus hadn't talked about what had happened yet. You ever been in the room with somebody where you're in a fight and you haven't talked about it yet? My wife and I, it happens all the time. You get in a fight in the car, right? And then you got to go into church or you got to go into smaller, you got to go into whatever. 
and you're angry at each other and you need to talk about something, but you're in the room with all these other people and it's like this, why aren't you all sitting by each other? <laughs> you know? I imagine that's how it felt around the fire, especially because Peter had denied Jesus around the fire. So now they're sitting around the fire and the smoke's wafting in his face and he just remembers, right? And he's probably feeling anxious. What is going to happen? How are we going to talk about this? And so Jesus decides to break the ice. And in verse 15, Jesus says, Peter, sorry, I didn't expect to get emotional about that. Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Jesus, you know that I do. I messed up, but you know that I love you. And Jesus says, if you love me just a little bit, it's enough. Feed my sheep. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? I imagine he gets a, a thing in his throat because when you're fighting with someone and you say, I, I love you, and you start there, the person's like, do you really love me? It feels so painful, right? You don't want them to have to ask again, do you really love them? But Jesus says to Peter, do you really love me? Because Jesus wants Peter to grasp just how deep this betrayal really was. He wants him to understand his sin. It's real and it's deep. Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. Jesus says, all right, if you love me just a little bit, feed my lambs. And Jesus asks him for a third time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter just falls apart. Three times he could have stood up for Jesus and he didn't. And he does love him, but he didn't love him well. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, you know everything. It doesn't look like I loved you, but you know my heart. You know that I love you. Jesus says, if you love me a little bit, that's enough. Feed my lambs. And I think that the reason that John wanted to include this and his story is, number one, we're all wondering what's going to happen with Peter because the story is not complete. He just denies him, and then what happens, right? But more than that, I think John wants us to know that if Peter, the rock on which the church is built, can deny his Lord and be accepted back and welcomed back and loved and put back in ministry, then there's hope for the rest of us, Right? There's hope for us. Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And Jesus tells him three times, feed my sheep. He wants him to know, you deny me once and I still love you. You deny me twice and I still love you. You deny me three times and I still love you. I don't know how far your sin goes. I can talk about the pile of my sin. But it doesn't matter how far your sin goes. Jesus' love goes that far. And it doesn't matter how far you've run away from Jesus. Jesus' love goes that far. Anyone is qualified to be in Jesus' family if they're trusting. In Jesus, because Jesus knew before Peter ever sinned, he already told Peter this is going to happen. You're going to mess up. It wasn't a surprise to him. Jesus knew what was in Peter's heart already. And in the very next scene, Jesus goes to a cross, and he hangs on it, and he gets rejected by his father so that Peter doesn't have to be rejected in this moment. Jesus was rejected on his behalf so that the Father could welcome Peter back. And John puts this in here because we need it. Because you and I have rejected Jesus. Have we not? I remember we were getting ready to go to Japan and we had a, a lunch with some people. 
And um, usually we're sitting around talking with Christian people. And in this particular lunch, we were sitting down with some non-Christians. And I don't know why it was, but for me, it's a lot easier to talk about what we do with Christians because they get it. You know, you don't have to convince them or you don't have to try to find the right words. You just kind of talk about, oh, I'm a missionary. We love Jesus. We talk about Jesus. And with non-Christians, I'm always trying to think, like, how can I talk about this in a way that, like, isn't, it's going to be weird. But how can I talk about it in a way that's, like, winsome or might be interesting or that might jive with something in your story? And so I start talking with them and they want to know what we're doing. And so I start talking about all this stuff about how high the suicide rate is in Japan. And it is. And I start talking about um, prostitution and child pornography and all these different awful things that are part of the culture underneath, on top. It's really beautiful, but just like any culture, there's sin, right? So I start talking about all these needs that the Japanese people have, hikikomori, people who hide in their rooms and don't come out for weeks or months or years at a time. It's a phenomenon there that's not in other places. So I'm naming these kinds of things, and we want to go, and we want to we help these people. And I couldn't bring myself to talk about the gospel. And at first I thought it was because I'm trying to connect with these people and they'll understand this thing. But later when I went home, I realized it's because I was scared of them. I was scared of what they were going to think about me if I started talking too much about Jesus and less about let's be nice to people who are having a hard time. And I felt so awful about myself because here I am raising money to go to the other side of the world to tell people about Jesus. And I can't even tell these people right in front of me about I was scared to death. I was nervous. I denied him. And maybe you've had that experience. Maybe you've been at work. Or maybe you've been at the soccer field. Or maybe you've been in the classroom. And you had an opportunity. And you got scared. You're like, I can't, I can't talk about this now. And you know the Holy Spirit was stirring you say something. Sorry, Jesus, not this time. I know that I love you, but not that much. All of us have had that experience, right? Maybe you spent time with your family over the holidays. Maybe some of them are not Christians and you were nervous about talking to them about Jesus. Or maybe you spent time with family that are Christians and just by spending time with them, you were able to see how deep your sin goes and how much you love other things besides Jesus. How much you like being right or how much you like the way that your family does parenting or how much you like whatever it is. All of us have stuff. And all of us need Jesus. And so Jesus comes to us and he gives us this passage to remind us that if pillar, if Peter, the rock on which the church is built, the leader, the great leader of the church is qualified, then anyone who is putting their hope in Jesus and their trust in Jesus, not in their performance, is qualified to be part of the mission of God. But secondly, I think John adds this chapter because he wants to allow us to know that everyone is also called to be part of the mission of God. So it's not just that anyone can participate, it's that you're actually called to participate in the mission of God. Chapter 20 ends with the story of Thomas. And the idea that John is trying to drive home is that this Jesus really did raise. All these things that people are saying about him that's crazy are really true. This guy put his fingers in his hands and in his side. And so it ends saying, blessed are those who haven't seen and yet believe. All these things are written that you may believe, and that you may have life in Jesus' name. And that is true. And that is good. There is life in no other place besides Jesus. And Jesus really did rise, and he is worth believing, and he is worth following with all of your life. But I think that John decided to add another chapter 
Because once you put your trust in Jesus, there's no person who's ever put their trust in Jesus and come into his family that was not also sent out to serve other people. And if Jesus had ended, if John had ended his book there, it would have been easy to think, oh, well, I'll just put my trust in Jesus, and then I'll have this private little faith, and it'll be me and Jesus. And growing as a Christian will mean learning a lot of theology, and I can just stay in my room, and I don't really have to do very much. But I think what John wanted us to know is that the call to Jesus is a call to discipleship, and a call to discipleship is a call to go and make disciples of all nations just like Jesus was doing. That's why he uses this language feed my sheep here. You remember in John chapter 10, Jesus has said, I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He uses this imagery. The whole point is that the shepherd goes and he gets sheep that are in trouble and he brings them in. And then the sheep that are here, they're going to get hungry. And so you need to feed them and you need to take care of them. That was Jesus's mission. That was one way that he described it. He says, if I can find it, in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus went through all the cities and all the villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And he healed every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his fields. Pray. Ask people to go and to care for these sheep and to go get them and protect them and feed them. And the very next thing that Jesus does is he sends the disciples out, the 72. He sends them out to do the very same things that he had been doing. There's no one that Jesus ever calls them that he doesn't send out. And so Jesus wants us to see Peter being commissioned. Not to stay, not to hang out, not to learn theology, uh, not to sit in a comfy sanctuary and think, man, we've really We've arrived. We've got our building now, right? We're done. Jesus calls you in to send you out because he's got sheep that are hungry and he's got sheep that are lost. He's not here anymore. He's returned to the Father and he's given us the task to go and to get them and to take care of them, to feed them, to tend them. Everyone's called. Uh, I remember when I was uh, 16, I went to Honduras, and I spent the summer there um, with a missionary family there. They were both Honduran doctors, and we would go out into the villages every week, and we would put on medical clinics with different teams, short-term teams that came in. And then um, after the clinics, we would go to different churches, and he would preach, and he would try to raise money so that he could keep doing that kind of stuff. So I was with him for the whole summer, so you can imagine how many of the same sermon I heard. My kids know exactly what that feels like. Over and over and over, the same thing in all these different places, right? Well, I don't know what it was about when we went to Olanchito, but when we got to Olanchito, for some reason, the Holy Spirit showed up, and the same sermon that I'd heard a thousand times that I was about to fall asleep listening to, God used it to get my heart. And he helped me to believe it afresh. I don't remember exactly what he said, but it's something to the effect of, there's nothing good that you could do to make Jesus love you more and there's nothing bad that you can do to make God love you less because of what Jesus has done for you. He's already been crushed and punished for all the bad stuff you've done. And he's already done everything perfectly and given you that record. And so you can do a bunch of good stuff, that's fine, but you've already got a perfect record. And you can do a bunch of bad stuff, that's fine, but Jesus was already crushed for you. So if, you're, if your faith is in Jesus, then you're righteous. And the Father looks at you and he smiles. It's like, well, that's really good news. How many times have I heard that? Thousands. But the Holy Spirit showed up 
and he worked in my heart. And the application for the sermon was this. Um, it was a church of God, so they were a little bit more touchy-feely than we are. They stand up more and sing a little crazier. Um, so they, the application for the sermon was for everybody to stand up in the whole room. So he made everybody stand up. I want you all to stand. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to make you stand up. He made everybody stand up, everybody. And he said, if this is true, if this is good news, then there's only two responses, three responses that you can have, really. You can either go and tell people about this good news. You can send others to tell people about this good news. Or you can disobey. So I want those who are goers to come to this side of the room. And I want those who are senders to come to this side of the room. And of course, I hope no one's left in their seats, right? Because you're the disobeyers. And God used that in my heart to call me overseas to missions. I stood up and with tears in my eyes, I went to the go side and I said, God, I don't, I'm 16. I don't know what I'm doing. And I don't know what your plan is for my life. But if you want me to go, I'm willing to go. And there were a bunch of other people that came to that side with me. I don't know what happened to them. But there were a bunch of other people that went over to the sin side. Because there's nobody who is called that doesn't have a role in the mission of God. Anyone's qualified to be part of this thing. And everyone is called to be part of it. I wonder what your part is in the mission. Are you a goer? Maybe that sermon that he preached for, for me was the same sermon that I'm preaching to you. Maybe this is your moment when God calls you to go. I don't know. Where would you go? There's need everywhere. But I can tell you there's a lot of need in Japan. I live in a place where less than 1% of the population knows Jesus. You could be on a train with jam-packed. People had to push you in there, and the doors barely closed. And you're the only Christian in that train. And all the people around you, because they don't know any Christians, are never going to be able to hear good news about Jesus, who loves them, and who went to the cross for people like Peter and people like me, people like you. So maybe God's calling you to come. We need educators for our MKs. We've got a lot of schools that are looking for people to come and to teach. And you think, maybe I'm not a missionary in the classic sense, but I'm an educator. I could come and I could give some of my time to teach. We're looking for people who love young people, who would be willing to go and to learn a new language and a new culture. And that's crazy, and it takes a lot of time, and it's hard work, but they do it for Jesus. Because anybody is qualified. It doesn't matter who you are, and everyone is called. Or maybe your role is to give or to send. We've got uh, a woman, her name is Akiko, and she's planning to come in the spring to work at our church because 70% of the Japanese church is female. Only 30% is male. A lot of women come to know Jesus and their husbands never do because they're working all the time and they don't have access to the gospel. But Akiko needs support in order to be able to work. And so maybe God's calling you to give money to her. Maybe it's not Akiko. Maybe it's somebody else. I don't know. But Jesus doesn't call anyone in that he's not going to send out. Everyone has a part to play in the mission. The only thing I didn't like about what the pastor said, the goers and the senders, was that it makes you feel like God's mission is only about foreign missions, right? You go over there, you send somebody over there, and then I can still sit in my fancy sanctuary and learn my theology, right? But that's not true. Anyone's qualified, but everyone is called. So I want to ask you, who are the sheep? that God has given you to care for? Who are the people around you that are just naturally in your space? God's put them there on purpose. It's not an accident. 
at our church, we're trying to help people understand this and believe this and live this. And so um, we've been asking them to do something recently. We asked them to think about five people that they know that don't know Jesus. I'd love for you to think about this too. You can even write down their names right now if you want to. But we're asking them to think about five people that they know that don't know Jesus, that are somewhere in their orbit. Maybe here in America, it's kind of hard to think of five people that you, don't know, that you know that don't know Jesus. So if that's the case, you can start by praying that God would introduce you to five people that don't know Jesus, right? And so we've asked everybody to think of those names, and then we've asked them to pray for those people. Just start praying regularly for those names. Have them written down. Start praying for those people. And then we've asked them that as they pray, that they would also listen to the people's stories. So sometimes we pray for people and it feels like we're far away, but we don't really know them. We don't actually spend the time to get to know them. So what would it be like to take one meal at your workplace and invite somebody to come and eat it with you that you don't know that you're praying for so that you can get to know their story? Because if you get to know their story, then you get to know what their needs are. And if you get to know what their needs are, then you can find tangible ways to show them the love of Jesus. And you can also find out what are the hurting places in their life where you can bring truth to bear on their struggle. So it's simple. Five people that you're praying for, that you're committed to hearing their stories, that you're committed to trying to find ways to bless and serve, and you're committed to trying to find ways to connect the truth of God's word, the good news of Jesus, to the struggles that they're facing. I wonder what it would be like if everybody in this church did that. I know you'd need a bigger sanctuary already. I'm sorry. Wouldn't that be awesome? What if every small group did that together? You were praying for each other's people and you were thinking about how you could pool your gifts and your resources to serve each other's people? And the one who's more eloquent, you're trying to get the person around them so they can share the gospel more clearly with them. What would it be like to do that together, to go on mission, to follow Jesus in feeding and caring for the sheep that he's given us? It'd be incredible. What if our youth group did that? What if every student had five people in their church they were thinking about, in their school that they were thinking about, and all the other people that are part of their school were helping them serve and love and care for these people and share about Jesus with them? Can you imagine what the valley would be like? That'd be incredible. Anybody can do it, even Peter, even me, even you. And all of us are called to do it. Finally, we've got three minutes to remind you that Jesus is leading us. You see that at the very end of the passage. Um, if you look at verse 18, Peter, Jesus begins to describe the death that Peter's going to die. And he says, Peter, when you were young, you could walk around and do whatever you wanted. You put on your own clothes. When you get old, people are going to take you by the hands and they're going to stretch them out and they're going to lead you where you don't want to go. Peter had already said to Jesus, hey, can I follow you to the cross? And Jesus had said, no, you can't die for the sins of the world like I'm about to do, but you will follow me later. Jesus was predicting the kind of death that Peter was going to die. Because as we go on mission for Jesus, there's no telling what's going to happen. It's not safe. Jesus had to go to a cross, and he tells you to take up your cross and to follow him. It's not going to be safe, and it's not going to be comfortable. There will be suffering, and Jesus wanted Peter to know that. But I don't think he was telling him to discourage him. I think he was telling him to encourage him. Because after he says, Peter, you're going to suffer, he says, follow me. Right? Why would that be encouraging? Because it means that Jesus is leading us. We have a son that you guys, many of you have already held and kissed. His name is John. 
um, named after my father-in-law. And he's an awesome kid. Uh, we adopted him. Uh, the adoption was final in August. We, we got to bring him to our home a year and a half ago about. And uh, we had told the adoption agency, we'll take any kid that you want to bring to us, but we want it to be younger than our kids because it might be weird to mess up the birth order. Um, and we'll take a child with special needs, but we just don't know how well we'll be able to care for a child with special needs in this culture because we don't understand the culture. We still are learning aspects of Japanese and aren't able to communicate, and we don't know if we'll be able to care for this kid. So um, they found us a healthy baby boy, and we brought him home, and we loved him, and we were so excited. But as time went on, it, it became clear that maybe he wasn't as healthy as we thought. That he was a little bit slow in developing. And until last week, actually, he threw up every time he drank milk. Every time. He's not growing. He's tiny and skinny. And uh, now we've got doctors trying to help us. And we have to go three times a week to different doctors. And it's not what we planned. But this is the sheep that God's given us to care for. And it's a hard, we don't even know what the road's going to look like. You know, he's just one and a half. We don't know where Jesus is taking us. But in the moments where I look at the situation, I can get really discouraged and angry and frustrated and worried. Um, but in the moments where I remember that Jesus is leading me through this, that he gave me this kid, and that he knows that he's going to have this struggle and that it's not a surprise to him, Jesus says to Peter, by this death you will glorify. When Jesus leads us on mission, it's not going to be easy. We're going to suffer. But it's for God's glory, and we need to know that it's not a mistake and that we're not in it alone, that Jesus is leading us through it. So let me ask you, are you qualified? Yes, friends, everyone is qualified if they're trusting in Jesus. Are you called? Yes, you're called. Everyone is called. Who knows Jesus? You don't get brought in without being sent out. And good news, guys, Jesus is leading us all the way. Let's pray and thank him. Jesus, we need you because we're a mess like Peter. We're a mess like me. Would you come by your spirit and would you encourage our hearts that you are leading us through whatever it is that you have for us to face in this new year. But we want to go on mission for you. We love you, Jesus. We're so sad about the ways that we grieve you. Would you welcome us back? Would you send us out? And would you use us for your glory in this city? In Jesus' name. Would the ushers please come forth?